Welcome to Feminine, the podcast dedicated to the feminine lens on mental health, the healing arts, and spirituality. My name is Priscilla Alexandra Hine, and I am a licensed practitioner of the healing arts and licensed clinical social worker in the state of California. full moon in Aries, my friends. By the time this episode uploads, we'll probably have transitioned our full moon into Taurus, which is a lovely fixed earth sign that happens to be my moon. My rising is in Aries, but who cares about all that astrological mumbo jumbo? (laughs) We are here today to come full circle when we talk about a couple of things. I'm going to start off by telling you about my favorite essential oil company and my dear friend Stacy Schumann. She is a certified aromatherapist and the founder of the essential oil company called Wellscent, W-E-L-L-S-C-E-N-T. Her essential oil blends are not only practitioner influenced and supported, and we're looking at multiple types of practitioners when I say that, including myself. Um, But they also are targeting various hormonal and or physiological makeup patterns. It's really beautiful. I've been uh, in contact with Stacy for many years. We met on the internet, and it's a really beautiful thing. And she has a lovely um, demeanor about her and recognizes that she's got a lovely role in society and uses it in a way to make the world a better place. So I'm very honored to know Stacy in that regard and it is my honor to inform you of these essential oils because they come with an intention of healing in every aspect. Stacy is local in her community and um, is intentional in her community, which is incredibly important when we talk about healing and when we talk about the healing arts and healing modalities and products. She is such a wonderful human being. So thank you so much, Stacy, for your work and for your products. I'm really blessed to know you and to have been using them. I want to shout out two blends in particular that I absolutely love and I highly recommend you use them for any sort of hormonal um, and spiritual support. The first blend is called Over the Moon and this is an endocrine support blend. You can place one drop uh, on top of your finger or your knuckle. <laughs> you don't have to be that that um, extravagant about everything. There's flexibility in healing, right? But uh, apply one drop to your liver and whatever is left over to the top of your kidneys for your adrenal glands. 
this is a very powerful, very grounding, very aligning blend. And when you are in the process of healing any sort of wound surrounding your femininity or your masculinity, this is a go-to. Again, that one is called Over the Moon. The next one that I want to talk to you about is called Under the Stars. This is such a gosh it almost can make me get a little teary-eyed that's how attached I've become to it under the stars is a sacred atar and it is a spiritual mm, support I guess is the best way for me to describe how I use it it is there for me when my prayers are extravagant but my words are few and it allows me to stay grounded in my body while also connecting to divine. And that blend is called Under the Stars. For this blend, I place one drop on my thyroid and on my heart. And that is to help me move the energy between heart chakra and throat chakra. So again, the, those two blends are Under the Stars and Over the Moon. And they're from a beautiful, amazing company called Wellscent and my dear friend Stacy who um, governs her company with the utmost respect and intention and conviction. Thank you so much Stacy for your work and for this medicine. Next before we uh, dive deep into our material I want to give homage to uh, where we're at sociologically from a systematic perspective, a social work perspective, as well as an empathic perspective. You've heard me talk about it before. If you follow me on Instagram, I've talked about it throughout the shift um, and really was a vessel for identifying the shift. Some of us with um, empathic gifts or energetic gifts or intuitive gifts, whatever you, you call them, um, they really are different, but for this little moment, I'm going to identify this gift of mine as empathy. Um, some of us with uh, an incredible amount of empathy are able to tap into things on a global level as far as the energy involved in that. And that is an empathic gift that I have. Um, I also um, am able to, because of the work that I do, I'm able to identify sociological shifts uh, before they necessarily come to the surface. Um, and that's just uh, through being in my field after many years. So I've talked about this many times, and if you've been following me, you've probably been able to stay grounded alongside me in understanding what's been happening. But ultimately, we are coming, we're coming to a place of groundedness and seeing things for what they are, and it's pretty interesting. That's from a United States perspective, and really even the global community. What ended up happening is during the Trump administration, when he began to campaign, we all um, were a bit traumatized and shocked, and then he won, and that was shocking and traumatizing for us, right? Well, in that time frame, many relationships suffered, and many um, people that we loved in those types of things began to become strained. And this is very typical, very common for a sociological movement of some kind. 
while in the moment we may not have understood or realized it necessarily depending on who you are or your um, ethnic and cultural background, some of us could depending on where we're from and our ethnic or cultural background. But for the most part, it was um, very shocking and very confusing Well, I'd like to read to you some statistics and some information to help you understand what has occurred and what continues to be occurring in the U.S. sociological culture climate to help you figure out a way to not just um, navigate this shift, but find your role in the process and really own it. So... The way in which I'm going to do that is I'm going to read you some statistics from the Pew Research Center. You can locate these statistics on the Pew Research website at pewresearch.org, and you can look at them under the fact tank. This statistic information in particular is called Key Findings on Americans' Views of Race in 2019. And this uh, survey was conducted um, from January 22nd to February 5th, 2019. And it was a survey, we, this Pew Research Center surveyed U.S. adults. So the two um, statements that are provided are, it has become blank for, more, for people to express racist or racially insensitive views. And it has become blank for people to express racist or racially sensitive views according to either more common and more acceptable. So both statements are the same, but the statistics are different as far as the data. And the data is looking for more acceptable and more common. So according to the data of being more common, 65% of U.S. Americans state that it has become more common for people to express racist or racially insensitive views. According to more acceptable, it has become more acceptable for people to express racist or racially insensitive views. 45% of U.S. Americans say it is more acceptable. So 65% say it is more common 45% say it is more acceptable. I've talked to you about that a couple of times, and it's pretty interesting. We, um, as human beings, may not necessarily understand what that looks like um, and or how to navigate that depending on where we're at as far as our cultural perspective and our cultural background. But the Pew Research Center gives us an opportunity to see facts for what they are and to move forward accordingly and to recognize that racism is not only more acceptable but more common as of 2019. Next, I want to give you some wellness information and I want you to juxtapose the two together. So I have said this before and I will say it again. During times of great political upheaval, the wellness movement will be amplified. And that is a way for folks of privilege to really um, reconcile their understanding of shame and guilt and pain. So according to the globalwellnessinstitute.org, 
This is an institute that keeps track of all wellness data and information. The wellness tourism grew by 6.5% annually from 2015, which is when Trump started to campaign, until 2017. That is more than twice as fast as the tourism overall, which was 3.2% annually. By 2017, wellness tourism will be was a 639 billion market, and it is projected to reach 919 billion by 2022. Let's take a breath and we will come together as a collective of individuals and um, human beings who seek to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with divine. Breathe in for four seconds, hold it for seven, exhale for eight. One more. We'll do one more. It should be of no surprise to you if you follow me on Instagram at Priscilla Hine to see and or hear this information. This should not be shocking to you. It is something I have been talking about by the time uh, DJT was campaigning and will continue to be a sociological imprint that has impacted all of our lives for many years. Many of our relationships were compromised during the campaigning of DJT and the election of him. And many relationships were um, really left without a sense of healing and or peace and or understanding. I'd like to acknowledge my role in this process and I'd like to help us merge the gap. I also would like to remind us why feminine exists and how we, as a conscious collective, can help really bring forth more healing during such painful and confusing times. I'm a brown woman. My family uh, is indigenous rooted, as well as Irish and Slavic. I am multicultural, but identify primarily as indigenous. My family comes from a great lineage of warriors who have been defying colonization and capitalism since the 1400s. As a brown woman, as a mixed featured woman, as a lighter-skinned woman, I have privilege. 
I also have a history of eradication of my people and incredible war because of imperialism and capitalism. My family comes from a country where the resources are rich and to exploit that land creates incredible opportunity for consumers to consume. I am also first generation American and have had to learn how to live in the States by creating a way and a culture for myself because there was none for me. When we look to popular culture, we know that we are looking at marketing, which is a psychological warfare that is created by and produced primarily to attract a culture for folks of privilege. We also know that some of the strongest and fastest growing markets for consumerism in the United States are for folks who are brown and or black identifying. And while these markets are quote unquote niche markets, oftentimes the majority market will seek information from these niche markets to appeal to the majority culture of consumers. What we're looking at from a popular culture lens and perspective is an understanding that most persons of privilege do not have a connection to their heritage and culture and look to understanding their heritage and culture according to what is popular and on trend. This is very common and this is really how um, psychological warfare and creating um, emotional numbing works. You have things like the Super Bowl and sports leagues, and this creates a lot of identity for people. But that's not your heritage. It's not your culture. It doesn't reach back more than the early, early 1900s. It's nothing. If you don't know where you come from, if you don't know that your family was most likely an immigrant, um, of some kind and or came to this land, even if it were on the Mayflower, this is indigenous land, the United States. There was a genocide of the natives, and that's history, right? So this episode falls on Indigenous Day. Uh, Previously, it was called Columbus Day, where the United States of America gave homage to a very horrific person who advocated the destruction and embowelment and violent horrific exploitation of human beings who were deeper pigmented so that they could have land and ownership and the united states perpetuated this narrative um, as a hero in order to avoid telling the real story of where we come from and why we are where we're at, and who really was the ones who suffered, and what really happened. What's happening currently on a sociological level is 
The wellness movement, as it continues to increase, is a representation of how folks who have privilege seek to heal their cultural wounds. While those who don't necessarily have the capacity to bypass, bypass privilege entirely reap the consequences of the heightened state of prejudice and racism that is occurring. So you can see here that what ends up happening is that consumers will consume more in an effort to make peace with themselves and or tap into their intuition and or their femininity through the metaphysical. And they will bypass taking ownership of the guilt and the shame that comes with not knowing your history, not knowing the human story, not knowing how to reconcile, and being really afraid to have dialogue. You know, I grew up having very hard conversations at the dinner table with my parents and my siblings. They were very normal for me to engage in a political dialogue and to not agree was completely standard. To have a heated fight, maybe even some tears, was completely standard. And then to reconcile and go to bed and wake up the next day and acknowledge that we love each other was the standard. I come from a blended home. The part of me that is brown is very brown. We are very brown. We are very um, not from U.S. American culture. We are a contradiction to all that is considered normal in the United States. But my family has been here for many years and has lived here longer uh, even uh, than where, they, where we come from. But even still, that is our roots, right? And the part of me that is European and Irish is very European and very Irish. <laughs> it's, it's actually really cute if you think about it. Um, <laughs> so to have two polarizing energies and two completely opposite narratives and coping patterns was very interesting growing up. And it created a very um, lively and active living environment. It also gave me an understanding of how to approach conflict that is very normal for me, and that is through dialogue. By the time I got into college, I received a text from my very dear mentor, um, and that was from one of my social work courses, and it was called Pedagogy of the Oppressed by Paulo Freire. And I highly encourage everyone read it. It not only will help you in understanding your programming, but can help you in understanding how others are programmed. It's very beautiful. But essentially, what Paulo identifies is that knowledge is the way in which we all can come out from oppression. But we must trust that everyone has the capacity to reason on their own, no matter where they come from or the 
or the type of oppression they've endured. And that is by giving each of us access to knowledge and information. And that's through dialogue, through conversation. So I want to hone in on something here for you, my dear listeners, and that is the feminine lens is the constant promotion of dialogue and the constant promotion of justice and the constant promotion of healing the earth and communing and forgiving. It's a very beautiful place, and that's why this podcast exists. We also know that the feminine lens is eradicated, and it's the one that is sought after first when times are very hard. In my last episode, I talk about the carbon footprint and fossil fuel and how if you are of privilege, you can continue to protest however much you'd like, but the reality is is you must learn how to live with intention. You can um, do a lot in the wellness world that can make us feel like we're healing, but we must be mindful of appropriation, and we must be mindful that these traditions are coming from people who have been eradicated, and if we're not giving our money back and or providing job opportunities back to those who do not have privilege, who have been eradicated, our wellness is nothing more than an attempt at feeling safe because it's too much. The metaphysical world and the occult is very beautiful. Mysticism has its value. It will always have a place, but the call that I put out to millennials and Gen X and Gen Z is to defy what we saw the baby boomers do and to find something greater than that. Be strategic in how you choose to create a healing world. Speak out against oppression, not just in a rally, but the day to day. That's really how we'll create a sociological shift for the issues at hand. So again, I want to just acknowledge that when we talk about wellness and when we talk about healing, be mindful about the role appropriation plays in that and be mindful that for most persons of privilege, it's really easy to um, to fall into that place and to join that bandwagon because it feels like we're doing something really good. Self-care always feels really good. The generalist practice model of social work emphasizes self-care. Without it, you can't be of service to the community. But you must come out from self-care and go back to the trenches. And the trenches are not going to look like a place where everybody has an amethyst to put on their third eye chakra. Or where everybody does yoga because it makes them feel healthy. That's not what the trenches look like. That's appropriating culture and colonizing and repackaging it and marketing it at marketing it as healing. I'm not sure there's anything we can do about that at this point. Um, while I encourage all folks of privilege who engage in this type of beauty and who understand the depth of power in these practices 
to um, really connect to your own lineage and to your own heritage and to your own roots and to find something beautiful in that. Learn about Celtic history if you are Irish. Don't worry about Ayurveda. Don't worry about um, shamanism. Where do you come from? Where do you come from? Worry about that. And allow the practices of the indigenous and allow the practices of those who come from Africa to be sacred to them. And find your own place with your own heritage and make peace there. That's where real healing comes from. The glamour of crystals and stones is really glamorous, but the reality is is there's far more power in a rock that's down the street from your house than an amethyst that's been outsourced from God only knows where and touched and done all sorts of things at this point and lost an immense amount of its potency because we've traumatized and fractured the earth. That being said, let's transition. Today for you, my dear friends and my lovely listeners, I've got some Enneagram insight. All of this material is copyrighted and trademarked under the modern curandera. So that means that whilst I attempt to avoid the capitalismo monster as much as I can, if you'd like to use this information, you must get uh, permission from me first. And if you do not, not only are you appropriating, but you're exacerbating the issues at hand. Um, You're also subject to a cease and desist decree and a fine of upwards of $250,000. So please be mindful of that if you utilize this information and recognize that this comes from a qualified mental health healing arts practitioner who's been in the field for over 13 years. I wanted to create a new name for each of the Enneagram numbers, so go ahead and get yourself a little pen and paper and a glass of water or wine or whatever it is that you need and take this information down. Not only did I rename the Enneagram numbers, but I also identified their needs and re-needed them, so to speak. So we're going to do a deep breathing exercise before we get started. I'm going to... ask that you give you maybe a a little minute to get your pen and paper and then we'll get started so let's take a deep breath in for four seconds we're going to hold it for seven and then we're going to exhale for eight I'll do one more. What a gift it is for me to be able to be here with you and to provide this spiritual material. 
Let us all remember that Enneagram is an ancient material, but however, it was developed and refined during the 1960s by an, a gentleman named Oscar. Thank you so much, Oscar, for your incredible work. Thank you for taking all that which is difficult to explain on a metaphysical level and creating a pattern of energy for each of the personality types and energies that could potentially exist on the planet so that we can learn how to live more in harmony. Thank you so much. We're really grateful for your work and we're blessed to be here with it. Let us also be mindful that there is a lot of information about Enneagram and it has um, again surged a little bit in spiritual communities as people are beginning to try and understand their role in the process of living as a relational mammal on the planet. A very difficult and confusing thing if we doth not engage in the hard dialogues, isn't it? Well, welcome to Feminine, a place where we only have hard dialogues. <laughs> okay, so let's get started. Um, I, don't, I don't foresee this lasting more than 25 minutes, and with this information, I would love to have your feedback. Send me an email at priscillahynelcsw at gmail.com, and let's, um, if you've got any questions for me, uh, please, please have no hesitation in asking. I'm, I'm grateful to answer any questions. Last time we talked about Enneagram and we will continue to move through Enneagram throughout this season. I had identified personality disorders and correlating mental health diagnoses. And that was really fun. <laughs> um, now we're going to talk about, I, I renamed them. So I want us to use simple um, adjectives to understand each number and then the correlating need behind that name. So let's start with Enneagram 1. So Enneagram 1, I renamed the architect. The architect needs to build structure and create a system of flow to ensure all souls will be considered in the process. It is through systems and structures that the architect can pattern room for differences in the name of the holy and then can redirect and direct the streams of truth and justice accordingly. So we can see here that Enneagram 1, the architect, thrives in being able to value all human beings through the systems that they create. This is their greatest asset. They are integrous, intentional, and very diplomatic. That is Enneagram 1, the architect. Thank you so much for your role, Enneagram 1. We love you. Next, we have Enneagram 2, the hostess. The hostess needs to serve and cater in order to remind us that every soul is special and deserving of sacrificial love. It is through the abundance of service that the hostess can honor each experience of every individual and allow the redemption of the Christ to be personified in the crucifixion. Enneagram 2, the hostess is vulnerable tender, and hopeful. We can see that the hostess necessitates serving and giving of the self in order to find their way. 
that is so beautiful thank you so much enneagram 2 for your hard work and for your ability to love all of us through the ways in which you serve enneagram 3 is the capitalist the capitalist needs to make money to ensure that all souls are cared for on a tangible and materialistic, realistic level. It is through material possessions that the capitalists can honor the reality of the system. They are the communion of the church and deliver the message of blood and body as sacrament in order to arrive at peace. The capitalist understands the reality of the situation and cannot waver from it. The capitalist is practical, resilient, and courageous. The capitalist also is the epicenter of feeling. Enneagram 3 is special in the sense that they feel all the feelings all at once. That's where they've been identified um, on the Enneagram system. Um, so the capitalist, while we know that capitalism from a systemic level can be damaging, it is through capitalism that we can restore. That is the avenue in which we will be able to restore. Imagine the capitalist knowing that things can change for the better. What incredible change can come forth from that? So thank you so much to the capitalist for their ability to remind us that we can change the system when we're coming at it from a place of good. Enneagram 4 is the curator. The curator needs to refine their surroundings in order to honor the depth of sorrow a soul can never recover from. The curator must ensure that pain is transformed into something tangible for everyone because its weight is deserving of honor and is too much to carry otherwise. For the curator, it is in this space that they build the church and ensure everybody is comfortable. The curator is willing, they are belonging, and they are compassionate. We say thank you to the curator for understanding the value of pain. Now we have Enneagram 5. The researcher. The researcher needs to have proof that the collective is not lost in misdirected anger or wrath, and that we haven't veered from the path of conscious holiness and what is real. It is because of the researcher and, what, and that they must have proof that life is worth living. That we are able to strategize how to mend ways as souls is proof that the researcher is at work. The researcher is intelligent, respectful, and conscious. 
we are grateful to the researcher in their ability and their capacity to understand facts and data are pertinent in order for us to move forward. Thank you so much, researcher. Next, we have Enneagram 6, the best friend. The best friend needs to connect to others and be the exemplar of how to flow and trust the differences of every soul around them. They know that every human is invited to the table by divine, not by the person hosting the gathering, and they honor them as such. The best friend is grounded, perceptive, and faithful. On the Enneagram model, the Enneagram 6 is the ultimate perceiver. Out of everything that's going on, it is Enneagram 6 that can hone in on what's really happening here. So thank you so much, Enneagram 6. We're really blessed to have you. Enneagram 7, the explorer. I had a lovely dream about my best friend who's an Enneagram 7 last night. Shout out to Shreves, the amazing artist. The explorer needs to adventure in order for souls to calm down and take ourselves less seriously. They remind us to go outside and take a breath. <laughs> Sarah, this is totally you. Thank you for loving me. It's through the sacred art of playing that they shine the light of Christ onto the system as a whole. The explorer is exciting, innovative, refreshing. Thank you so much to the explorer for your incredible work in this world and for allowing us a moment to breathe. You are really special and sacred. Now we have Enneagram 8, the catalyst. The catalyst needs to lead the grieving process for the collective and pave the way for healing so that we can honor innocence at its core. The catalyst reminds us to forgive and defy the way Christ forgave and defied and to trust the process of human expansion through tangible lessons. The catalyst is inspiring venerable, and limitless. Thank you so much to those who identify as the catalyst for your work. It is a burden, but you are capable and needed. It may be a burden for some anyway. Excuse me. And now we have Enneagram 9, the elder. The elder needs to take time and reminds us that life is pleasurable and we as souls experience divine most when we are in our pleasures 
and not in our chaos. The elder takes us from the mystery and turns us back to the body as a means of spiritual transformation. The elder is wise, admirable, and transformative. The elder, or excuse me, uh, Enneagram 9 also happens to be the ultimate intuitive. This means that out of all of the things to make sense of and all of the great mysteries, it's Enneagram 9 and the elder that really can um, hone in on that the most. A couple of thoughts that I want to end this moment with um, as we come full circle and identify the architect, the hostess, the capitalist, the curator, the researcher, the best friend, the explorer, the catalyst, and the elder are the following. When we come to the table of life through the lens of knowing every person is invited exactly as they are, we're able to dig out the shame and replace it with lessons. When we allow all humans their rightful place, we honor the difficulties involved in being. When we risk our ego for the healing of someone we love, we create space for transformation. When we give room for tragedy and balance it with dialogue and trust, we can start again. My very dear friends, you are very special, exactly as you are. Not one of us is more or less deserving of grace and mercy. Not one of us is more or less guilty of causing harm. But yet we come to this space to remember that we do not have to go the path of the ego and can turn within and go the path of the spirit. We do not have to rest in, rest in a place of trauma or pain. We can come out from those places and rest in a place of redemption and restoration. We do not have to feel shame for who we once were and who someone saw us as during a hard time in our life. Each of us is allowed to feel sorrow and anguish. No one is spared from their humanness. Despite the delusions that we have been taught, to believe in. While popular culture can teach us many things, the reality is, is that healing starts within us. It starts within identifying the ego and allowing it to make peace with the self. I want you to know, my friends, that if you are listening and if I have caused you pain, I am sorry. You are welcome to my table at any time. I do not hold you accountable to who you are because I feel I am superior. I hold you accountable because I love you. I send each of you my blessings this week. 
I will see you on the new moon. Enjoy this transition that we're in sociologically. Stay grounded and reach out to me. You can follow me on Instagram at Priscilla Hine, and you can send me an email at PriscillaHineLCSW at gmail.com. Many blessings to you. If you would like to engage the feminine dialogue, please feel free to send an email to PriscillaHeinLCSW at gmail.com. Additionally, when you search for us on Apple Podcasts or share us with your friends, remind them and yourself to give us a five-star rating. <laughs>